This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by LifeWay. With the new CSB Men's Daily Bible, men are seeing the truths of Scripture in direct, effective ways. And with devotionals and insights that speak to every man's struggles and questions, this edition is changing the way men's groups and discipleship partners study together. Pre-order the new CSB Men's Daily Bible today and get the best deal offered with 50% off when you purchase at LifeWay.com and use promo code MDB50. That's LifeWay.com. You're listening to the Gospel Coalition Podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. Today, we bring you a workshop session with Christy Anyabwile, Courtney Doctor, Alicia Horton, Irene Sun, and Shar Walker, as they discuss how the gospel can bridge this historical divide along ethnic lines and how God can use us as agents of healing and peace in the church. This workshop was originally held at TGC's 2018 Women's Conference. My name is Shar Walker, and I serve on staff in Lynchburg, Virginia, with a college ministry called Campus Outreach. I have been on staff for seven years now and have really loved giving my life away to college students. And I am very excited to introduce our panel here in a second. I feel like I'm on a stage of rock stars, uh, personally. So I'm excited to share a little bit about our panelists. But before we do, I just want to frame our time to say we've kind of talked offline before we got here and have been praying for this room, and we definitely recognize the topic of race and race relations as it pertains to the U.S. I think maybe this is the most, um, probably potentially the most sensitive panel, um, and maybe even one of the most timely that's here. And we really want to commit our time to the Lord and address it in such a way that is helpful, that is honest, and that really is encouraging and spurs you guys on wherever you are in the conversation. So I want to hang in front of us this verse, and I'm going to pray this verse for us. And after that, I'm going to introduce our panelists, and we're going to jump in because I feel like times like this, we get to the end, and it feels like there's never really enough time. So... Um, the verse I want to hang in front of us is Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you are also to forgive. Above all, put on love which is the perfect bond of unity. So I'll pray for us and we'll dive in. Father, I thank you so, so much. Um, We can only approach your throne of grace um, because of the blood of Christ, Lord. And 
the blood of Christ and your church is beautiful. She is multi-ethnic. Um, she is a people like everyone in this room who in our own ways, we are in process in being sanctified, Lord. Um, so I pray over our conversation, pray for the power of your spirit for our panelists here. Lord, I plead that the words of their mouth and the meditations of their heart would be acceptable in your sight. And I pray that each of us um, would put on compassion and kindness, humility and gentleness um, as we begin to discuss a topic that is important to you and a topic that is weighty in our nation's history and maybe even has gone long undealt with for some time now. So God, pray for your grace and your mercy in our time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so to my left, I have Courtney Doctor. She is joining us from St. Louis, Missouri. She's, yeah, St. Louis. She's a Bible teacher and a conference and retreat speaker, an author, a wife, a mother, a mother-in-law, a grandmother to an amazing grandson. I don't know him personally, but she says he's amazing. <laughs> Um, she received an MDiv from Covenant Seminary, and she serves on the advisory, advisory board of Covenant author of From Garden to Glory, a Bible study of God's Bible story, which is an amazing Bible study. I highly recommend it. She loves Jesus, her family, coffee, me too, riding horses, and is deeply honored to serve on this panel today. Alicia Horton is joining us from Long Beach, California. She's actually, I'm going out of order. I'm sorry. She's, Okay. Alicia Horton is joining us from Long Beach, California, but she is a Midwest native to her hometown in Kansas City. She's married to her best friend, D.A. Horton, and will be celebrating 15 years of marriage in June, so this month. That's exciting. She is a mother of three, a homeschool mom, an author, a basketball coach, a Bible teacher, conference speaker, and writer. She has received both her MS in Religious Studies and in Organizational Development from Calvary Bible College and Theological Seminary. She recently co-authored a book with her husband titled Enter the Ring, which, will, which was released this past January. She is looking to do a book and music tour with her husband this coming fall. Irene Sun, two to my left, um, has been an Asian American for a grand total of two years. When she became an American citizen, and she's been an immigrant living in the U.S. for 18 years. She was born in Malaysia, a Muslim country that is also ra racially diverse. She has also lived in Indonesia and Tahiti for some time with her parents who were missionaries. She is married to Hans, a preacher in the Chicago area. She homeschools four boys. She has a degree in Old Testament from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and an MA in Liturgy and Literature from Yale University. So she's super smart. That's basically what that means. <laughs> she's super smart. And um, I'm sure you guys know our final panelist to the far left, Christy Anyabwile, is the wife of the Bidi Anyabwile, who serves as a pastor at Anacostia River Church in Washington, D.C. She is the joyful mother of two daughters and one son. She's a wife, a mother, a homemaker who loves leading Bible studies, discipling women, cooking, hospitality, and reading. So these are our panelists. We will dive right in. First question is, it's been 155 years since the emancipation of slaves, 73 years since the Japanese internment camps, and 50 years since Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination. Why do you guys, why would you say we're still here? But yeah. Why is a panel like this necessary after the time that has passed in our nation, given the racial tension? And I'm opening it up to any of you guys. 
I was thinking about that earlier today, and I thought, you know, if my body had received some type of trauma or injury, um, if I had a broken bone, and that, that wound, that injury had never um, been dealt with or it hadn't been dealt with properly, I would not stop seeking healing until the bone was set, until the, the healing was complete, right? Because that's my body. And I am going to pursue it until it's healed correctly and fully. And we are the body of Christ. And we have wounds and we have traumas and we have injuries that have not been dealt with or not been dealt with properly. And we need to stay here and we need to, to work on this until the body of Christ is healed. When even the question itself kind of assumes as though time can wash away sin and time does not wash away sin, only the blood of Jesus can wash away sin. And so we're talking about it because, um, because we need the gospel. And so we need to help one another see our blind spots. We need to help one another. Um, we need to admonish one another. We need to see the sin and hate the wickedness in ourselves. And you, you were kind of going down the American history, but I'm, I grew up in different countries. And to be honest, like we're all racist. There are races all over the world. And so um, I was telling my sister just today how um, Chinese, we in, in the Hakka dialect, everyone else is a ghost or demon, but only Chinese people are people. And so, and my friend Marta from Spain, she gave me permission to share this, but when she was here in the UN United States, she, she saw the segregation and she thought it was a horrible thing. But when she went back to Spain, she saw the segregation between the Spaniards and the gypsies. So it's not an American history, it's a human history, and racism is part of our fallen nature. I'm not really adding anything to the conversation, but I was just thinking about um, um, just pinpointing what you ladies are saying, that as long as God is continuing to reconcile men to himself, he's gonna be continuing to reconcile men and women to one another. Um, so that just is a challenge to us uh, to not be complacent in the work of reconciliation because as long as Jesus is still saving, um, he still has work for us to do in this call to um, racial reconciliation. Um, just briefly adding, because I think everybody said it really great. Um, I feel like because it's, we're looking at it as a, their problem and not a, our problem, I feel like then we're still kind of hanging on to our preferences. And I feel like God has to start with the church, you know, to help us understand what are the uh, racisms and the preferences that are in our own heart. And so just like what my sister is saying, it's not just necessarily American history. You know, we're feeling the effects of it because we live here in America. But it is a, a racism is the sinfulness of our human hearts. And so I feel like once we realize that it is a, our problem, then we begin to look at it differently and take different a posture to it and a different perspective on how we can now move forward, uh, not just continuing the conversation, but being about it. So, Yeah, that's a good segue. So... I'm going to add a question. Uh, where in God's word have we seen there be division among groups of people and or tensions that might not have been racial but might be ethnic? 
And then where in God's word has there been precedence for a conversation like ethnic unity to happen? So both are kind of centered on God's word, but where do we see kind of historical division? And then where do we see a precedence for there actually should be unity within God's church and among his people? Anyone? Well, I would just say that the entire thrust of the biblical narrative is that God is saving and redeeming a people for himself, and he goes out of his way to let us know that it is people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. And so as we, we can go back as, you know, far as, as Genesis 12, 3, and Abraham is, is blessed so that the families of the earth would be blessed. And, you know, it just, it continues on through the Old Testament. But man, when you hit the New Testament, I mean, it is just, it is front and center. The last words on our Savior's lips before the crucifixion and John 17, or Father, make them one, because he knows what he's about to do. The last words on his lips before the ascension, Matthew 28 and Acts 1, are go into all nations, um, making disciples, baptizing, go. The first act of the Holy Spirit when he's poured out is to bring men from every nation, and everybody heard it in their own tongue. The entire New Testament deals with, over and over and over again, our biblical authors are saying, you need to move towards each other across lines of ethnic division. So Acts, the forming of the church, the first problem in the church is Acts 6, right? And you have um, probably the establishment of the diaconate at that point because there was conflict between the Greek and the Hebrew widows. It was ethnic division. And they come in and they say, this should not be. You go to Acts 10 and you have Peter and he has to have a vision three times just to get the idea that he's supposed to go visit with Cornelius. And, and because Cornelius, there's socioeconomic division and there's ethnic division. And what does Peter say to him? He says, truly now I understand that God shows no partiality. And, you know, then you move all the way through. But, man, when we get to the end of the story, I mean, Revelation 5 and 7... It's all about, you know, there's, there's so much unity there, right? There's one throne. There is one king. There is one voice. There is one song. We are worshiping one God, but we are doing it. God goes out of his way to say that there will be people of every shade and tone of skin. So it's, it's throughout the entire biblical narrative that this is God's heart for his people. Amen. <laughs> I don't know if we can say much more. There we go. I, I think one thing I've loved about um, Revelation also is in John's vision, he actually sees the ethnic distinctions there. Every tribe, nation, and tongue. Now, everyone's not like washed to be the same ethnicity, I and mean, that doesn't necessarily go away when we get to eternity, but he takes note and, like you said, makes a point to mention some of those realities. A follow-up question so it seems like a lot of um, people outside of the context of the church, so maybe non-Christians in the world, especially in America, are having this conversation. How is the way Christians have it, like how should that be different? Or what distinctions should there be in the way that we're having this conversation? Equality is not the solution. Because I think everywhere else we go, everyone's saying equal rights, equal rights, equal rights. But in Philippians, it says, no, count others better than yourself. Mm. Count others more important, more significant, more special than yourself. Love, and this is a new commandment I'm giving to you. And why is it new? Because you should love one another as I have loved you. I mean, that blows my mind because it's no longer love your neighbor 
as you love yourself, as in, in the old covenant, but in the new covenant, it's we are to love one another the way that Christ loves us. And that means suffering for one, for one another and, and dying for one another. That's good. I, I think I would add, um, obviously, there's a lot of talk about the race issue still. And I feel like it's always good to remember that all mankind are made in the image of God. And so that's what we are supposed to remind ourselves as believers to look at each individual in the Imago Dei, in the image of God. And so when we do that, then like what my sister is saying, there is no like there there is no equality of that in the realm of yes, we are equal, but in the sense of let me serve you, let me sacrifice for you, let me consider your narrative, your needs, your experience above my own, that puts it in a different playing field. And I feel like when we take that advantage or we take that perspective and that vantage point, then we are allowing God, the Holy Spirit, who governs us to really work on our own hearts so that we can truly understand and not just empathize with people, but help those who have a, a narrative that is different than ours and help them gain clarity um, and to bring back dignity to a people that has been stripping, uh, stripping away from them. And so I feel like it, it moves us to a position of really understanding our brothers and sisters and really focusing on what is their needs above our own. And it, it puts a whole different twist on how we move forward and how we engage people, how we minister to people. And so I feel like as Christians, again, the world is watching, you know, and what are we doing to show them the one another's um, as it relates to this type of topic? Yeah, yeah I think also um, Christians need to recapture biblical words and terms <laughs> And I think we need to really caution ourselves against using the world's definitions for God's words. And so, you know, when you're talking about equality in, in the world, equality means sameness. Mm -hmm. Nowhere in the Bible does equality mean everyone is the same. And so a lot of tensions that we see now are just rooted in, we have, we're using the world's definitions for what God has clearly defined for us in his word, and we just need to recapture those things. Another, one, another um, way that I think Christians uh, should be different in, in how we engage this topic is um, God has been so gracious to call us yeah, to love him, to love one another. And that love looks like empathy, you know, as Christ has loved us. But again, it's one of those terms. So when we say, when, when someone says, oh yeah, it's loving, you know, we're quick to say it's loving to tell someone a harsh thing. You know, we want to we do that. <laughs> but when love looks like laying down our lives, when love looks like empathizing with someone, when love looks like entering into their world and not trying to change them or fix them or just to listen and learn, we have a really hard time with loving in that way, in a sacrificial, you know, uh, self-debasing, for lack of a better word, way. And I, again, it's just one of those words that we give over to the culture and um, in how we use them, and we just need to recapture them as believers. Irene, Christy, and Alicia, describe the first time you were aware that you were an ethnic minority, or maybe, if not the first time, maybe a time you were consciously aware I at least look different than those around me. 
well, I grew up in a small town <laughs> in North Carolina, <laughs> Eastern North Carolina, <laughs> um, tobacco country, like the whole nine. Um, what, the one, one incident that stands out to me um, when I was, when I was uh, not, I wasn't, a, I wasn't quite a teenager, uh, but my sister worked in a fast food restaurant. You know, it's a small town. Everybody hangs out at a fast food restaurant. And uh, so I was there hanging out, and a little um, white girl comes in with her grandpa. And they come in and, and order food. And then the grandpa left. I think he went to get a drink, or maybe he went to the restaurant. I'm not sure. But somehow me and the, and the little girl were left by ourselves for a few minutes. And so I'm being nice. Hi, little girl. You know, how are you? And she just... You know, you know, just trying to communicate with her. And she says, I can't talk to you. And I said, oh, you know, I'm thinking stranger danger, right? <laughs> and she said, I can't talk to you because I'm white and you're black. And it was just a moment as a kid, you know, hearing this from another child. She might have been, if I was 11 or 12, she might have been four or five. And so I'm seeing this young girl, um, her being discipled, taught, trained by someone to um, separate herself because of how she looks or because of how they look. So many others. Yeah, the experience I had was I had uh, just graduated high school early, and so I started working full-time at Target One Hour Photo. Yay! <laughs> that was my first, like, real job. Um, and so I remember my sister um, picking me up after work and saying, hey, let's go to the mall. And so we're like, all right, cool. So we go to the mall, and um, I'll leave the name, but I'm pretty sure after I describe you, you're like, okay, I think I know that store. But ba basically, it's uh, a, a store full of accessories for tweens and teens, and you can find about anything in there from glasses to barrettes to everything. And so we went in there, you know, hoping just to kind of kill time. And I remember walking in there and trying on glasses and knowing that I didn't, like the little... The little mirror that's above there, let's be real, like I want to see the whole picture, right? Because I want to see like what it looks like from top to bottom with these glasses, right? So I take them and I take them to the back of the store because that's where their full mirror was. And I look at them and just like everybody else, shamelessly, we don't put them back, right? We just stick them to the side if we don't like them. So I just stuck them to the side because I wasn't going to buy them and I just kept it moving. Um, I remember we were starting to look a little bit more and my sister was like, hey, let's go ahead and, and try to grab something to eat. So we're heading out the the, the store, and the lady goes, hey, you, bring those back here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, ma'am, I, I really don't know what you're talking about. And she said, those glasses you stole. And so anybody that knows my sister, by that time she's a big sister, a.k.a. Mama Bear, she started popping her earrings off and was like, first of all, <laughs> like, don't you talk to my sister that way? And I was beginning to explain to her, like, no, ma'am, I put the glasses back. And she says, no, you didn't. And so her and my sister had exchange of words. I'll leave out those. Um, but long story short, this statement that she said forever sticks to my mind. Um, because she says, my sister says, well, why, why would you think that she stole those? You know, she's clearly telling you they're back at the, the back of the store. She said, well, you guys look guilty before you first walked in here. You look suspicious. And I was just like, yikes. I mean, I had my Target red shirt on with my khakis. <laughs> right? I'm like, that's, sus that's suspicious? Maybe, I guess, right? 
But I guess what stood out to me was the fact at that moment I realized she wasn't judging me based off of what I was wearing. Mm -hmm. She was judging me based off my skin color. And that stung, you know, and it, and it was. Um, it was a white woman. And so actually, long story short, um, my, my brother-in-law, who's African-American, he, like, those types of situations really eat at him. He actually, we actually took them to court and settled out of court because they were wrongfully, you know, racial profiling us and discriminating us and all those things. But it just really stunk to me. And to this day, I, I still remember that story vividly of being different. Wow. Um, well, I grew up, um, as, as Shar said, we, Malaysia is a multicultural country. So we are very, um, we're very used to being different from everyone else because there are Muslims and Malays and indigenous people and Indians and Chinese. And, but it wasn't until I came to the United States um, for the first time um, when I was 10 when I felt small. And I remember um, just generally, I remember my parents were asked whether it was the first time we wore clothes, <laughs> whether we ran around naked in the jungle, like in the National Geographic, of course. Um, I, I remember being in fourth grade and, um, and being made fun of for my nose. I mean, I understand that it's weird because if you take a pen, I can touch both my eyes at the same time. You know? And so you're supposed to laugh. It's, <laughs> it's okay to laugh <laughs> at my nose. <laughs> but, um, but I just remember one specific incident was I had to ask my dad for the details of the story, but we were in the Dallas airport and um, my dad had four little girls at the time, and he went to KFC to get food for us. And he, because you know you have to hold the tray with both hands, he set down his, his briefcase containing all of our documents. And I remember um, within, within, he said that it was about an hour when we lost all of those documents, um, where uh, he said he doesn't think our our passports were in there, but everything else that prove that we were not criminals <laughs> was in that briefcase. And I just remember my mom holding all of our hands and while my dad's running around the airport telling us we need to pray, we need to pray hard because we have to board the airplane soon and we don't know where this briefcase is. So the the... It, it has a happy ending because a cleaning lady saved our lives and, and returned our brief, my dad's briefcase to the information desk. But it just made me, that, that feeling of being defined by ink and paper that, that immigrants have. Like you, you mentioned the word visa, passport, USCIS. Um, U.S. Embassy. These words might not mean a lot to you, but to an immigrant, that sets butterflies in my stomach because as immigrants, we are guilty unless, until we are proven that we're innocent, like you said. We are worthless until we show that we have money. We are incompetent until we speak English. We are uncivilized until 
we act like Americans. And, and so it's, it was a lifetime, and I did not realize it until preparing for this panel, that a lot of the times I'm just trying to prove who I am. I'm, I'm proving my worth, and I'm proving that I, I, I can, it is right for me to be here. And, and then I realized that not everybody else have this same, same pressure to the need to prove myself all the time. And, and in the case of my parents, I mean, they, they were innocent, but they lost those papers because we needed to eat KFC. <laughs> and and my, my dad needed to hold the tray with both hands. And so stories are just so much more complicated than I think what the media wants to make them out to be. And so, so that's, that's, that's one story that I remember when I felt small and powerless. Can I just share one other quick thing? I, I feel like I want to share something that is more kind of everyday. Um, so when um, my husband and I uh, were younger, we used, we used to go to shopping malls a lot more often. And, um, and, you know, early on he had jobs where he, you know, he had to dress up. He had to wear suits and stuff like that. Um, and I cannot even count how many times we've gone in stores and literally gotten zero service from anyone in the store, but other people around us are getting service. How can I help you? Do you need anything? Can I get someone to help you try this on or find this for you? And we're standing there like, are we invisible? What happened? And then we realized that um, when we went shopping together, we had to dress up. If we wore like jeans and sneakers and just regular clothes like everybody does when they go to the mall, we get nothing. But if we really dressed up and he wore a suit or he wore a t shirt and tie and he dressed a particular way, then he would get service sometimes in the stores. And um, so that, that's the kind of stuff that, that's more every day. And I think, I don't know if you all are, I'm sorry, I'm going off a little bit, but uh, but I don't know if you've heard of the the term my, um, microaggressions, but it's kind of the dailiness of people asking weird questions, or people wanting to touch your hair, or people talking about your skin tone, or people you know you know um, assuming you're having chicken for dinner, or you know just all kinds of stuff that's just a daily little. It's just a little. Uh, just a little thing, but the dailiness of it adds up over time. And I think um, we're in a time now where um, I think a lot of people of color are turning to um, counsel, professional counsel, to deal with um, what they consider to be racial trauma due to the dailiness of these kinds of things. No, that's great. Yeah, I think one thing I appreciate for all three of you of sharing your heart is because you actually shared how you felt in the midst of those moments. And part of the reason I, we put the question on there was to show that like, whoever we consider to be quote unquote the other or like different than us, those are fellow image bearers with stories, with emotions. I love what you said. I think you said um, there's so much more to many stories than what maybe the news gets credit for or what we really think. And that's just, I think that's a good principle to keep in mind. I may not have all the answers to a lot of these things um, or maybe even all the details to them, to some of people's stories and what's going on. So thank you for sharing that, guys. Um, so Courtney, I know some, this is a broad room of people and I would say on the scale of where people are at in this conversation, it 
can be anywhere. So speaking specifically to majority culture women in the room who may be feeling like a conversation like this brings some sort of anxiety or angst or fear or maybe more negative type emotions, like what would you say to them or maybe a word of encouragement or advice would you give them? Well, I'd like to start by thanking my white sisters in the room that are here. I'm glad you're here. Um, most of you self-selected to come into this workshop, and so that shows a, a willingness, at least, if not a desire, to learn and to enter the conversation, and so I'm really glad that you're here. Um, I would like to offer three words, and I'll, I'll kind of flesh those out a little bit. But the first one is, um, as white women, it is past time that we listen. So that is the first word, listen. It is way past time that we stop and listen to our brothers and sisters of color telling us what the gift you just received by these women sharing their hearts it is a gift, and I am praying desperately that we will receive it. Um, so two things about listening. Listen with humility. Listen with a posture to learn. Um, pay attention as you're doing that. You mentioned, Char, several feelings that might rise up as you hear things. And some of those are good. Um, sadness is a very appropriate response. Anger, defensiveness, anxiousness... If you feel that, write it down and take it to the Lord later. Ask him to show you why you're feeling that in this conversation. And I would also encourage you to listen to a variety of voices. Listen to people that voted differently than you did, that live differently than you do, that think differently than you do. Because if you live in a world where all of your friends voted like you and everybody reposts the same Facebook post, you know, what happens is, we form these little tribes, right? And as I picture it like we're sitting in campfires facing each other, and we just keep repeating the same thing. You know, we say it, and they say it back to us, and we say it, and they say it back to us, and nobody learns anything new that way. And so mix it up a little bit. Go sit around somebody else's campfire and listen. You know, listen with a posture of humility and listen to learn. Um, you don't need to defend. You don't need to freak out. Just listen. And when you do, you might actually, you and I might actually learn something. So that's my second word is listen and then learn. Two things about learning. Learning can be uncomfortable and that is okay. My comfort is not the primary goal in life, okay? So, so it's okay to be uncomfortable. And of course I'm uncomfortable. I've stepped on a thousand landmines in this conversation and I will continue to do so. It is uncomfortable. It is painful to see the sin in my own heart and my own life. It is brutally painful and uncomfortable to realize the pain of the experiences of my brothers and sisters of color. Be willing to be uncomfortable. So be willing to learn. Be willing to be uncomfortable. The second thing is learning is your responsibility. Okay? The burden of our education does not fall on our brothers and sisters of color to constantly. You are receiving a gift. Okay? You are receiving a gift of people testifying to their experiences. But the resources are abundant and the resources are plentiful. And at the end of this conversation, we're going to recommend some resources. And so my challenge to all of my white sisters in the room is pick a minimum of two of those resources. Okay? Read them, watch them, listen, and learn as you do. So learning is our responsibility. 
the last word I want to leave is love. Um, the end goal of this conversation is not simply learning. So I want to say this one loud and clear. The compelling factor in this conversation is not guilt. The compelling factor in this conversation is love. And as believers, we are called to love what God loves. And God loves his church, his beautiful, diverse church. He loves his family. And he wants brothers and sisters to love each other deeply. And so if you lack empathy for this conversation or if you are apathetic towards this conversation, please beg the Lord to give you a heart that cares, that loves what he loves, that beg the Lord to align your heart with his heart. And so, so listen to your brothers and sisters of color, learn from them, submit yourselves to their authority on this conversation and enter into this conversation with a heart of love. And I really want to open up this question to my sisters on the panel to say, you know, what would you say to the white women in the room who are specifically new to this conversation? I love that you called um, what their testimonies or their stories a gift because I would just say something to be aware of is if you go to a friend of color and you ask them to maybe share an experience or you ask them what is it like to be a minority, um, even sometimes retelling the stories can be a bit traumatic and it's actually, it can be challenging. So I would just say go into the conversation with that sensitivity of like, it actually takes a lot to do what they just did, which is to be vulnerable in a room full of strangers. That's very bold. But just in general, to share with even a close friend, like these are some of my experiences. That takes a lot. So just, I would say, be mindful of some of those realities. I don't know if you guys would add. I think I would say to uh, my white sisters in the room that just because we're hurting doesn't mean we don't love you. We do. And um, so I think I just want you to know that, that um, sometimes people share stories and they're, you know, and they share pain and it's real and it's raw um, and it can feel personal to you or maybe, you know, have a sense of defend, you know, well, you know, this wasn't my fault. I, I think the posture is just to remember that sometimes we just hurt <laughs> and it really, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with you per se. Um, and so just trust that your sisters love you, your brothers love you, um, even in the midst of our pain at times. Um, I would also add just even the challenge for our minority sisters as well is that just as much as we want people to listen to us, let's make sure we're giving them a listening ear too. Because I feel like it's important for me to understand my white sisters as well, just as much as I want them to understand me. And so I feel like there's, again, there's that unity, there's that, that commonality that we can start with being the same in Christ and being, letting the gospel be our commonality and showing the differences and the beauty of the gospel by our differences that we have. And so just as much as I'm wanting to share my experiences with you, even though they bring up hurt and they do bring up trauma, because that's just one of many that we have encountered, um, I still want to understand your, your sufferings and your pains and the things that you've gone through, maybe from receiving it from the opposite side. So I feel like we also need to have the both and when we're approaching the conversation. Um, so this next question is open to anyone on the panel, but in what ways do you think the recent election actually affected this conversation? And bringing it up just because I don't know if there would be any argument in the room that it was a very polarizing and maybe even divisive election, and 
I'm sure one that would probably go down in history in a unique way, but how, do you, how would you guys say that the recent election affected this conversation, especially maybe in the church specifically? Sorry. I know, tough question. Where do we begin? I know. Yeah. It's a heavy one, I do admit. <laughs> I'll start as, um, as always feeling like an outsider because the thing is, it's really easy to be a not black and not white person and kind of just hide. And before needing to prepare for this panel, so God is sanctifying me <laughs> through this panel. I, I never, I thought I was excused from thinking about race. Because I feel like, well, I'm not from this country, English is not my first language, and I have a thousand of excuses because I feel like I'm not part of this, you know. And, but but I'm, I'm called out by this recent election because I had to vote for the first time. <laughs> and, and I am forced to pray, forced to look at my own heart. Like, why am I indifferent? Because, because it's... Even indifference, which is, like, it's a sin, it's a wickedness. It's like the priest passing by the wounded man on the road and the Levite passing by the wounded man on the road. And that's indifference, and that's wickedness. And so it was really hard for me to to face that indifference within myself and, and remembering that when I was mute, when I did not speak English, when my nose was called gross, no one spoke up for me and that hurt. And it hurt when, um, when people were just watching <laughs> and was okay with it. And so, and so that's what that recent, th this recent election did for me as, as a non-white, non-black person. Um, it called out the wickedness in my own heart. I think um, what, uh, the effect that I think the election had on um, race relations in America is this. I think it brought out something um, that people had had been saying, you know, here and there, but I think it just came into full frontal view that we have so intertwined politics and religion that when someone votes for a particular candidate, not only do we question their political affiliation, we question their religious fidelity are they really christians are they re do they really love the lord you know and so i think the the polarizing effect that it had is that it not only had people kind of disagreeing over politics but the fun the foundation of relationships i can tell you stories about um conversations i've had with people who um who <clears throat> Dist who I consider to be friends, but who distrust 
disrespected me now, distrust me now as a friend because of this decision or that decision or do you know what I mean? So that's what I think. I, th I think it's just brought into, you know, crystal clear view for us that we need to do work in making sure that the church um, has clear distinctions <laughs> so that our politics isn't equated with our um, Christian faith. I would just, you know, I know that the minute you ask that question, that probably to a person in this room, everybody had like a surge of different emotions, right? That so, was me. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's telling. I mean, it is telling. And so even just naming it, saying this election was divisive. I mean, just like, I know people have visceral reactions to that statement. So part of it is self-awareness and, and being aware of what you're feeling and kind of you know, navigating that, managing that just a little bit to say, okay, wait a minute. Did we hear what Christy just said? You know, we've got to pull apart our political affiliations or our political leanings with our faith. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. You know, this is, we are not American or, or affiliated with a political party. We are the church and there is room in the church to, to agree and disagree on a variety of things. And so again, if all of your friends are saying the exact same thing that you already believe, I say, switch it up a little bit, turn on a different news channel, you know, read a different right. newspaper, right? Find somebody who, who voted differently than you and just enjoy their friendship and talk to them about it. I mean, it's, it is okay. <laughs> it will all be all right if you talk to somebody who does not agree with you politically. Thank you. Wow. Um, I think for me personally, um, it really, kind of like what my sister was saying, it kind of really brought up some things in my own heart, you know, that I had been feeling and wrestling with and especially as it relates to where I'm currently at and where our church is currently at and where I'm currently serving at. I live in California. And you talk about immigration, those are people that I know. You talk about deportation, those are faces that I see. And so it creates a whole different perspective to say, okay, that, again, it's not a, that's their problem. As a church, it's our problem. So what are we going to do? And so when I have stories and I hear stories of, people that I know personally fearing deportation, it makes me feel some type of way. And I'm thinking, okay, God, as the church, you know, if we all think about it, we, we're all immigrants. You know, this is not our home. Our citizenship is not here. It is in heaven. So we should have a heart for those things that are uh, pressing our nation right now versus turning a blind eye. And I feel like it is like what my sister is saying too, like educate ourselves. You know, we, we shouldn't be having these echo chambers of people just saying the same things and not anybody where we're all repeating the same things and, oh, that sounds good. Okay, your perspective, okay, because it's the same thing versus having other people that's outside of that speak into those things so we can actually say, wow, like you disagree with me, but I'm okay with that, you know, because as long as we can remain brothers and sisters at the end of the day, that's okay. And so I feel like, again, we've majored on the uh, minors and minored on the majors. And I feel like we need to do a better job of having a balanced perspective on that and seeing how does this pertain to us individually and what can we do about it moving forward. So 
Yeah, Alicia, I love that you said we're all immigrants. I think that is, that's a great quote. And um, because our citizenship is in heaven. And with that in mind, I wonder if like the immigrant believers in the U.S., like the, Im the actual immigrants in the U.S., I think they have a lot to teach us about that reality of, of living in a context that may not feel like our own. Because as believers, we probably should feel a little bit like that, like we're exiles, as First Peter says. Moving on, Irene, I've heard some express concern that not just Asian American, but maybe non-black minorities in this country feeling a, maybe a sense of left out of the conversation or not included. I'd love to hear your sentiments on that and if you agree and disagree and anything you'd have to say. Um, I think that in terms of like I said, I've only been Asian American for two years, so <laughs> I can't speak for everyone, but I think that's the point. The point is to not be reductionistic because Asian Americans come in all colors of, you know, I mean, all colors because there are Japanese um, Asian is different from a Korean Asian, is different from a Chinese, different from a Filipino. And it's different if they grew up here or like me growing up mostly in Malaysia. And so we need to um, not be reductionistic about this and know whom we are speaking to. But also um, in terms of being left out of this conversation. So it depends on which conversation we're having. If it's a conversation about discrimination, it's like, yes, uh, my, my husband grew up during the time of the Vietnam War. So his, he grew up in agriculture communities where stones were hurled at him every day as he's walking to school. Names were called and fights were made because he looked a certain way even though he has nothing to do with the war in Vietnam. And so, so it just depends whether that, that person lived in the city or in the rural town and when was this person growing up. But, um, but if this conversation is speaking about the conversation between black American and white American, then I think that takes a whole different meaning because slavery happened and that was 400 years of hurt and pain and continues to be painful and hurtful till this day. And so I think as Asian American, we are not part of that conversation. We're part of the discrimination conversation, but we're not part of that particular hurt because most Asians came to this country by choice, but slavery, when that happened, that did not happen by choice. Human beings were stolen and captured and owned. That is a whole different trauma than, um, than what I experienced. And so I think in this case, I would take the posture of the person who's learning. And so because we homeschool our children, I've been learning about the Civil War and I've been learning about Frederick Douglass and I, I stand in awe, actually, of the 400 years of hurt and pain. And I'm so humbled that, that you're still here. And 
still, I mean, you are still here and that we are trying to, to talk about it. And I don't think as Asian American, we should be thinking about what about me? Because we should be fighting for unity and not recognition. And so, um, and so I think that's where I stand with this. And I, I know that it's kind of a different take than other Asian Americans. And I've been searching my heart about it um, as well, why that is. But, but if two of my sons are fighting and trying to reconcile and trying to repent, I don't think my third son should come in and say, what about me? You're not thinking about me. Instead, I think that the other son should be helping the two reconcile. And I think that's where um, Asian Americans should be in this particular conversation about the historical relationship between the black and the white. I think we should be the one perhaps admonishing because sometimes if my son is disrespecting me, um, it is better for my husband to call him out rather than I be the person who call him out. And so perhaps my role as, um, as a brother, I mean, as a sister of Asian descent is to help my black sister and my white sister have this conversation and admonish and listen because I am not in directly that historical pain and hurt. That was a great answer. Yeah, go ahead and clap for that. I've, I've heard that question asked on a lot of panels and I think that was the best answer I've ever heard. So, good job. Um, we have time for one more question and then we'll move into a time where they're gonna give some resources. But what would you guys say is a major barrier to the church moving forward in this area? And then also, where have you seen progress in the church, especially in when I say the church, um, the church in America moving forward? So where have you seen barriers, and then where have you seen progress? I'll take it quickly. Um, I see a lot of barriers in apathy and in ignorance, but also in personal preference. So, you know, we, uh, we're all too ready to say that we want our churches to be more ethnically diverse, but what we mean is join us while we worship in the same way that we've always worshiped, you know. So, um, so personal preference. And so how do we actually lay those personal preferences down? Um, I think I've already talked a little bit about apathy and ignorance and take those to the Lord and take it upon yourself to do away with those, but, but the encouraging thing, so I would love to leave with that. The encouraging thing is that I actually think the Spirit of God is moving in the hearts of His people to open eyes and open hearts. There are good conversations going on. MLK 50 is an example. I think a lot of what TGC is doing, there are good healthy conversations going on, even in a lot of our, our churches. There are good resources, and we're going to recommend some of those in just a minute. I'm also incredibly encouraged by millennials and Generation Z. Um, we're handing the church off, and we're putting it in good hands. And so I'm grateful for the work of my younger sisters and my younger brothers in this conversation. Um, you guys are doing good work, and I'm, that encourages me. And then my last thing is my own heart. If, if the Lord can take someone like me and start opening my eyes and changing my heart, there is hope. So I just be encouraged. He is not finished with us. I think um, like adding to my sister is that 
there are conversations happening. I pray, I'm grateful that there are conferences that are happening and this conversation is just not stopping there. Um, because me and my husband are one, I'll take it from him, but he talks about diversifying your dinner table. So I would say diversify your dinner table as well as diversify your bookshelf. You know, find other books um, to be read by, for our white sisters, find other books to be, uh, that had been written by African-American sisters and vice versa. And I feel like when we can do that, again, it takes it to say, okay, God, deal with my own heart first. You know, because it's not going to be um, helpful, it's going to be hurtful if we're not willing to deal with our own self first. So I feel like those are some of the things I feel like these conferences, these conversations, the, the conversations I've been in, the conversations I've heard, it puts the burden of responsibility back on us as the believers because we know what we should do and we talk about theology all day, but it's a praxis, meaning the practice of our theology is where we say, nope, God, that's okay. Because I'm going to just still hang on to my preferences. And I think God is really wanting to change that in the hearts of his people. So if it can start here, it's going to keep going um, if we don't, if we allow it to. So. I'm not sure the right word. Uh, I want to say zeal. I want to say something like complacency in terms of barriers. Because, look, I don't know how many of y'all do CrossFit, but I know you're diligent. And it's a commitment. And you pay a lot of money, and you hurt a lot. <laughs> but you do it regularly. And you make the commitment. You make the time. You get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and you do them AMRAPs or whatever they call them, <laughs> and all the stuff. Um, you know, you Netflix on the weekend, <laughs> right? You go to the beach. You, you know, you live life. You hang out with friends. You go to the mall. You go to the movies. You... You handle business. And so there's, there's, a, there's a, a real, there's a, a, a want to, an unction. And I think if it's a desire, you will make time for the things that you really value, right? Nobody came in here with unbrushed teeth today, right? We all did that. It's a habit. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm assuming. <laughs> you know, but certain things are certain things are important, certain things are habit, certain things you just make time for because you know you need to make time for them. So I think with the barrier, I don't know the word, but it's that. It's the unction, it's the want to, it's the zeal, it's the not being complacent and actually being actively engaged and learning and, and loving and all the things that um, these ladies have talked about. Um, encouragements. I mean, I just echo what everyone, I, I do feel a wind um, blowing in a new direction in this conversation. And it's really encouraging. When I get a random inbox message from my white brother who asked me, hey, um, you know, we, want, we heard that Divided by Faith is a good book to read. Can you recommend a couple other ones for us? We're going to, you know, read them in my church with my elders. Or, you know, when I get a, a, a text from when something happens in the media that's racially charged, and I get a text from my white sister who just says, I'm praying for you and I love you. And, you know, how, how, can, I, how can I serve you? Um, Though, uh, those are the things that encourage me. Those are the things that put wind in my sail and, ha and keep me engaged when I'm weary and just fatigued and like, I just can't, you know? Um, so I think those are things that are encouraging to me, yeah. 
Well, we'll do like rapid fire resources. Christy, can we start with you? And then, sorry. One, yes. You can one. do more than one. Um, Get well, your pens I, ready. I mentioned Divide It by Faith. That's just must, must read for everyone. Um, I think, too, I just love books that have the human element and really tell stories and help you enter into the lives of people. So I would also recommend a book called, and if you just like, you know, good stories and memoir type um, reading that help you, I really love this book called um, The Warmth of Other Suns by Isabel Wilkerson. So good. It's so good. And it just puts you, it, it gives you the whole history of, I'm sorry, you said quick, um, <laughs> Great Migration and just how, you know, from Reconstruction on um, the movements of um, African Americans across the U.S. So that's a good book. Yeah. Uh, mine is The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. Basically, it's a forgotten history of how our government uh, segregated America and talking about the housing. And it just gives a really good historical narrative of how it started. And even in San Francisco, which was booming back in the day when World War II was happening and they needed people to move upward to um, work in the force field um, to create Jeeps and stuff for our war. And because our our white brothers were going to be uh, deported to go to fight in the war, they then start allowing African-Americans, women, and women of color, but their housing that they only provided was for the white people and not. So it just, it starts there and gives such a great description of how that is. And because if people don't believe that racism was systemic, I challenge you to read that book, so. Um, the one that helped me a lot was Hillbilly Elegy by Vance. Because as an immigrant, I, did not know any of that. And um, it was riveting because I got to learn about a population and I've never really thought about white people that way before. And I remember reading it and putting it down and telling my husband, I feel some compassion in my heart that I've never known before. And so, so that, I, I love it when books do that, but also, I think what really, really helped was just going through American history with my sons. It was crazy. I was like learning about the Civil War and reading Frederick Douglass, and he says, I was born. And that means he was a human being. And at that time, being a slave, he was not treated like a human being. I was like, oh, I get it now. It was, it, so history... Um, and Google, because so whenever, <laughs> whenever you meet someone new from a different country, like Malaysia, don't ask me whether Malaysia's in China, <laughs> because it's not, it's a different country. Google it later. <laughs> That's what she just said. I'll just real quick, I'm not even going to tell you what they're about. The first one is Heal Us Emmanuel. Um, sorry, Heal Us Emmanuel. It's a collection of essays. Very good. The second one, I actually just added this this week because I just um, read it and I can't put it down. It's called I'm Still Here by Austin Channing Brown. Um, and then the last one, I, if you just get on the TGC website and you go to MLK 50, you can listen to every plenary session and every workshop. And I have just been plugging those in and walking. And, you know, you just, it's just a way of using that time to, to learn. So MLK50 on the website, just listen to all of the sessions. Um, whether you agree with them or disagree with them, that is okay. Make it through. You guys can do it. And mine would be, it's in the bookstore. It's called White Awake. 
an honest look at what it means to be white. Honestly, I think someone said it. You might have said it, Irene. It created a different element of empathy and compassion in my heart for my white brothers and sisters in the U.S. So excellent book on what does it mean to be white in America. And I'm going to ask Courtney to pray for us because, Courtney, you have like a motherly grandmother spirit. (laughs) I love like seriously, I love it. She just has this, like, this air about her. She meant I'm young and hip is what she that really too. meant. That's what, I, that's what I heard. That just got recorded, too. It did. I'm sorry. We can edit that out. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I would love for you to pray over us. I would love to. Father, thank you that you do not leave your people alone. Thank you that your spirit is moving. Um, Lord, please minister to us through your word and through your spirit and through your people, Father. We desperately need each other, and we, we need the healing that only you can bring, Father. And we pray that you would make the church exactly what you want the church to be, Father, where we would love one another in a way that the watching world finds just desirable and that they would want what we have because we love each other so well because we have been so loved. So Lord, we pray all of this in the name of your son. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. For more gospel-centered resources, visit thegospelcoalition.org.